1: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today.
0: Welcome to the Horse Hour podcast. I'm Amy Frost. And today we're at the National Equine Forum. It's a day when 250 of the top industry experts get together to discuss the future of the equestrian industry and my guest is Nigel Oakley. He's the heavy horse ambassador for the Rare Breed Survival Trust. How are you Nigel?
2: I'm very good, thank you. Yeah,
0: good, good now. I've been dying to speak to you for ages because you own some of the most beautiful horses. You own the Suffolk Punches.
2: Yes, I I have at the moment on the farm eight Suffolks and two Shires. There are there are three heavy horses in the United Kingdom, the Shire, the Clydesdale and the um, Suffolk Horse. Mm. Uh, the Suffolk is is the most critically endangered. The, the other two, the, the Shire and the Clydesdale, are on the watch list of the RBST.
0: Really? What, how many do you think there are in the country?
2: I can only, I'm the past president of the Suffolk Horse Society, the trustee of the Suffolk Horse Society, so I can speak for the Suffolk, there are around 500 registered Suffolks with the Suffolk Horse Society.
0: So does that mean they're close to being extinct?
2: They're on the critically endangered list. Um, And in fact, I I was at the uh, opening of the new AI centre up in Shropshire. And and if we don't address the problem seriously, by 2027, we will have uh, so much inbreeding, it would be difficult to to save the breed. So there is a a big campaign by both the Suffolk Horse Society and the RBST and and quite a few other people come to that to to, um, address
0: the problem. These horses are so gorgeous. Last Christmas I was lucky because we had two Suffolk Punches that drove through the village carrying the Christmas tree and, and it was so magical to watch them do that. What, what, what do you use them for every day? Because you own Reed Hall Farm Park. So what do you do on a daily basis with them?
2: Well, well I nearly said unfortunately I'm getting older, but that's better than the <laughs> alternative. Um, I, I used to, to cut the corn with them. I still plough about 20 acres with my Suffolk's. Um, I do a lot of demonstration work at county shows. I've been involved in five country file programmes and we get quite a lot of film work. But I, I teach driving to driving horses on the highway to youngsters and, and to adults. Really without, you know, young people learning the arts of the heavy horse, then there isn't a real point in saving the heavy horse. So we must make sure future generations are up to speed on that, really. Mm.
0: And what made you stay with the heavy horses and Suffolk punches rather than moving on to tractors?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, most farmers use tractors and, and mechanical means. Um, but both the RBST and and the Suffolk side, and and most of us who keep heavy horses believe there are still opportunities. Although I, you know, I'm not of the age now where I want to cut corn and and so on with them. I still play, as I said, but. You know, even, even in tourism, the horses are working. It's not, it's, you know, taking people round or displays for tourism is an active role. Forestry is the main really viable job for, for the Suffolk horse, or, or indeed the, the Shire or the, or the Clydesdale. Mm-hmm. The SSI triple scientific areas where you can't use petrochemical fuels for, for environmental reasons, a horse is still a very viable option. So I, I think there are ways that we can uh, survive with a horse in a in a viable manner.
0: I heard that they're actually better than the tractors and things because you can you can get closer. It's a lot more intricate. The ploughing is is uh, much more detailed. Is that right?
2: Well, well, it is. I mean, to be truthful, you couldn't farm England with horses any longer. The population demand for food is so great; it would be it wouldn't be sensible. I mean, people say to me you know you do it for the love of doing it well i don't see anything wrong with that to be truthful mm-hmm. um people play golf or keep classic cars there isn't a lot of revenue made from that i wouldn't think but you've got to not everything has a monetary value and i for one rejoice when they they rebuild windsor castle after the great fire uh, that's part of our national heritage and the livestock you know the rare breed livestock is our national heritage and if we want our great-grandchildren's children to have the privileges we've had, then we must address it and stand up to our responsibilities.
1: Mm, I
0: completely agree with you. You you mentioned three heavy horses, the Suffolk Punches, Clydesdales and and the Shire. Um, where do the Percherons fit in? Are there, well, the,
2: are there... per- the Percheron isn't recognised as a British breed. It came over after the Great War when we lost, obviously lost a lot of horses in the First World War. And there was, yeah, you know, the horse was still part of the agricultural scene then. Um, but as far as as um, RBS T are concerned, it's not a native breed.
0: Oh, I see, because I have some Percherons at the back of my house, and um, and they quite often do a lot of work. And it's fascinating to watch them and watch them pulling their uh, pulling the hay, and they do a lot of ploughing with them. And what fascinates me the most is how gentle these horses are. The heavy horses, they're so powerful, but they have such kind souls.
2: Yeah, I mean, there is a, a say in gentle giants. I can't say I totally agree with that because I break in probably about 15 heavy horses a year for, for myself and other people. And they're like children, really. They they need schooling and then they become manageable. But um, they have got a nice temperament. There's no doubt about that. I mean, I've kept... Well, I've got, I've got Shires now and I've kept Clydesdales and they're a lovely horse. I've, I've no... Um, no compunction in recommending either Shires or Clydesdales to anyone. Although I'm a, a Suffolk horseman, um, they're all lovely breeds and are part of our living heritage and, and should be, re, you know, should be looked at in the same light as any other rarity. Mm. Uh, I think it's um, people are very aware of this sort of thing now. Thank goodness. Um, you know, when I was a youngster, I suppose that's how I got involved in in the heavy horse. I can still remember. Uh, a horse on the farm at home when I was a child, but I was quite small. Uh, And then when I got um, the time and the finance to be able to keep them, it was a thing that developed naturally with me, really.
0: Nigel, do you think we could give them another job? Do you think maybe that might help? Because if if their job... Not that all horses, you know, I don't believe that horses should be kept just to do a job anyway, but if they're rare and they were predominantly used for farming and they're not needed for farming anymore, it would be such a sad loss to see them go. So is there? what else can we use them for?
2: Well, as I said, the the Forestry Commission and, and um, privately owned forestry in, in the States use horses on a permanent basis. They have got a genuine job. And I, I recently had a, a visit from some gentlemen from france who run 16 heavy horses on on a vineyard and Mm. they were looking to buy three suffolk mares so we have got quite a large great grain industry in this country now so perhaps with help from people we could introduce the horse to that particular job because it would i've used them in a vineyard in this country my own horses and they do the job well and and to a equally financially viable as, as using mechanical means. So, mm. and, and we've got the benefit of being an, an attraction to the public, plus that they're environment, totally environmentally friendly.
0: And they're just so lovely to have. I'd much yeah, they, rather they look are, outside um, and see, you know, see three Suffolk punches than a big tractor.
2: <laughs> well, they say you can't talk to a tractor. I think I have spoken to mine, but then <laughs> I am from Suffolk. Um, but the horses, they understand a lot more than people give them credit for. Yeah. I mean, I had a horse that so I drove in a brewery dray at uh, county shows, and you really didn't have to, obviously, have the reins in your hand, but he understood most of his instructions by word. He was a marvellous horse.
0: Mm. And where's he now?
2: Unfortunately, he. I, I took him up to the Royal Highland Show in Edinburgh, and he got bitten by a tick and got Lyme disease, and we, we spent a lot of money and time and effort on him, but unfortunately we lost him.
0: Oh, no, I'm sorry to hear that.
2: Yeah, it's unbelievable that a thing the size of a tick can kill an animal that weighs over a tonne, but there you go.
0: Mm. So you have over 10 horses altogether? Yes, I have. And how long have you had them?
2: I've kept Suffolk's for, I think, 36 years.
0: Wow. And what was it that made you choose the Suffolk to begin with?
2: Well, people ask me, I honestly don't know. I suppose (laughs) one is it was a Suffolk wed on the farm at home when I was a child, Mm. and the other is... I'm a Suffolk man, and the Suffolk is the most critically endangered of the breeds, and it was a natural choice, as far as I'm concerned. And I wanted them for agricultural work, which the Suffolk was bred and developed for it. Its it's, um, confirmation and build is is exactly right for agricultural work.
0: Mm. Do you know, I'm really lucky. I live um, near Dorset, and we have the Dorset Heavy Horse Centre here. Uh, yeah. But they seem to have a lot of shires more than the other heavy horses.
2: Yeah, there, there is um, a friend of mine lives in, in Dorset, Randy Hiscock. They were probably his horses that pulled your Christmas tree, I would think. <laughs> uh, and Randy's um, a great ambassador of the Suffolk horse.
0: But there seems to be more shires. I, I, I see more shires than I do well, Suffolk's.
2: Yeah, well, numerically, the shire is, it far outweighs the Suffolk. The shire is on Category 4 of the rare breeds of trust list. And the Suffolk is on Category 1, which is the, the critically endangered one. So there are obviously a lot more shires around, although they are a rare breed. They, they are certainly more
0: mm.
2: uh, numerically uh, sound than the Suffolk.
0: So, Nigel, what can we do? How can we help? Because I can't breed. You know, I'd love to, but I'd be useless. So what what can we do as a community to help keep the Suffolks going?
2: you know, like everything these days, it's fundraising that keeps things going. And I I think all of the societies, the Shire Horse Society, the Clydesdale and the Suffolk, all have friends of the horse. And People needn't own a horse to become a member of either of the societies. Uh, And they needn't be an active member. They can be a friend of the society. And and all of these breed societies have um, functions throughout the year, social events and so on. So... You, one, you are, as as um, individuals, hel- helping preserve our heritage, but you also can get involved with the horses so that um, you have a hands-on sort of thing. I can't speak to, too much about the Shire and the Pysdale Society because I, I, I'm not totally involved with them, but I know they have some very, very capable and passionate people there. Mm. Um, and the Suffolk Horse Society, we have a thing called our Spectacular, which is... Um, where all the Suffolks that can get together another an open day for the public, and that um, brings the attention to the attention of of people, you know where our rare breeds are, what um, what sort of state they're in, and to be fair, at the moment they're not in that healthier state.
0: So, are you saying that we need to breed more?
2: We certainly need to breed more, and you see that the trouble when they get numerically small in numbers, they're they're Bloodline and uh, DNA has to be watched so that you don't get inbreeding, so mm-hmm. that, you know, the the diversity of the of the um, bloodlines has got to be kept apart. But we have some very clever people in, you know, science in, in, in that direction has moved on in leaps and bounds. I don't, I don't profess to know the ins and outs of it all, but, you know, frozen semen is used now, even embryo transfer. There are so many aids that can be done but all these things have have a a value and unfortunately they're still quite expensive but they are becoming cheaper as as um, science moves forward
1: Potentially, your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See Site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mm.
0: So let's say uh, we breed a Suffolk. I'm trying to look at it from how can we all help. We don't all need to use them. Um, I would quite love to have a farm with every every possible breed but you know it's just not affordable. So let's say I wanted to donate to help breed one Suffolk Punch. Say I said to you right okay here you go Nigel here's some money go and breed a a Suffolk Punch. What would you then do with that horse? Would you then use it or would you be able to sell it on? Yeah
2: there's two options really. I mean Like all all rare animals, from snow leopards to so on, you can sponsor the breeding of of a particular animal, let's say whichever stud, a Suffolk stud or a Shire or Closedale stud, sponsor that animal and then be informed of its life through its life. So it may go to an open farm park where it's on show to the public to promote the breed. It may go on to be an animal that, goes to ploughing matches uh, with, with another horse. Um, you know, they've got all sorts of animal that's shown at county shows in a brewery dray or in hand. So, you know, if you if you had a financial interest in a horse, I mean, there's a lot of people put financial interest, quarter shares in race horses and so on mm. and follow its um, progress through life. So the same could be with, with the heavy horses. Um, you don't particularly need to own one, but if you had a... Uh, Percentage of sponsorship in it, then you could be kept aware of that horse his lifestyle and and successes
0: So how much would it cost to breed one one Suffolk punch?
2: I don't know if my wife's listening in <laughs> uh, To be fair I would think probably about 1500 pounds with the stud fees are negligible. It's veterinary costs and the feeding regime that needs to go into the mare to make sure you get a, a healthy foal Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, these heavy horses haven't, unless they're really top quality animals, haven't got a big monetary value when they're two years old. Because you normally would sell a, a horse as a yearling or as a two-year-old, uh, and they're still not worth sort of mega money. So there's no there's no real monetary gain in breeding heavy horses. To be fair, uh, it's a it's a passion or a or a, a lifestyle. Um, no one in the right mind would do it for financial gain in my that 's my personal opinion i 've never come <laughs> out in front anyway
0: um, and how much does it cost i guess it's just like the cost of a normal horse isn 't it it 's the feed it 's the upkeep, but they 're quite hardy animals
2: yeah I mean you read in books that heavy horses uh, live on mostly nothing well, like all of us, they might for a little while, but they they would die eventually they they need feeding they don 't need top quality food that you'd put in a a thoroughbred to race it, that's obvious. Um, But they need even haylage and, and hay and that sort of thing. They eat quite large quantities of it, but they're not overly expensive to feed. But like all equines, they're prone to colics and that sort of thing. So it's, it's knowledge of the feeding that's the most important rather than the cost of the feeding, to be honest.
0: And you have all this experience because you've been doing it for 35 years. So I think, Nigel, um, you know, we can all talk about it as much as we like and it's great to talk about it, but I also think that at some point we have to take some responsibility and we have to actually act on it.
2: Well, that that's a very nice comment and it's lovely to hear you speak that way. But there there is a lot, I mean, we get, Well, I do anyway, get depressed when you watch the news and all you seem to hear is things that are going wrong. Mm. But there are a lot of really nice people in this country. We've got holiday lets on the farm and a lot of people come really to see the horses working. And we've had the holiday lets for 12 years and I've only met one man that I wouldn't be too bothered about meeting again. So the majority of people are, in my opinion, nice. You know, worth, worth their weight in gold, to be honest. Um, and there is a, a real interest in not only our equine-rare breeds, but uh, cattle and sheep and pigs and so on, which, you know, if, if we lost those bloodlines, that's where all the commercial breeds originate from. So it is, it is more than one reason to keep the bloodlines alive. If, if we had a catastrophe, you know, with, with illness or, or some virus or whatever, having, having the original breeds to come back to would be our lifeline, to be truthful.
0: Mm. Let's do it, Nigel. Let's make a little Suffolk.
2: <laughs> yeah. How does this work? Uh, the heavy horses, they're like in, in the canine world, really. The smaller the dog, the, the longer it normally lives, and it's exac- exactly the same in the equine world. A heavy horse doesn't live as long as a Shetland pony, but I've got the Suffolk on the farm at the moment, and she's 24, mm. and I've got a shire that's 28. So... They are remarkable to have lasted that long, really.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you for everything that you do, and and thank you to the Rare Breeds Survival Trust. One, for keeping these horses going, because I agree with you. I want my children and my grandchildren to know the heritage of the country and where the horses came from, their history. I find it really fascinating, and it would be really sad to see them go. So um, how can we find out more information, Nigel? Do you have a website? Um,
2: I've got a website, but the Suffolk Horse Society have got a website. The lady who is our executive secretary is on holiday, unfortunately, at the moment. Well, fortunately for her, I suppose. (laughs) Um, But Jane is um, very, very helpful. Well, the, the rest of the staff in there are helpful. And anything you wish to know, they'd be more than happy to furnish you with the details.
0: Nigel, thank you so much for talking to us today and for speaking at the National Equine Forum. I do wish you all the best with your your Suffolk punches and um, and I'd love to come and visit one day. I think that would be great. If you've enjoyed listening to these podcasts about the National Equine Forum, then for more information, head to their website, nationalequineforum.com. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can catch all the podcasts from the National Equine Forum on their website. Just head to nationalequineforum.com and you can see them on our website, horsehour.co.uk. I hope you enjoyed the live stream and getting involved in the conversations, asking your questions to the panel and to the speakers just by using hashtag horsehour, hashtag NEF. You'll be able to replay the videos from the forum if you just have a look at their website and their YouTube channel. Now, this event wouldn't be possible without the friends of the forum. Our corporate friends are the Blue Cross, Dodson & Horrell, the Donkey Sanctuary, Hadlow College, New Shul and SEIB Insurance Brokers. Along with individual friends, thank you so much to everybody that takes part in the National Equine Forum in organising it and uh, making sure it's super successful every single year. We'd also like to say thank you to the forum sponsors Beta, British Equine Veterinary Association, the British Horse Society, Bransby Horses, the Jeffrey Scholarship Trust, Bedmax, HBLB, Red Wings, Weatherbees, the World Horse Welfare, the Horse Trust, BHA, which is the British Horse Racing Authority, the British Equestrian Federation, And our great supporters, Bully Davey, Craig Payne, NFU Mutual. And uh, we're proud to be supporters of the forum too. Really looking forward to next year. Already there's a date set. It will be the 27th National Equine Forum. And it takes place Thursday, the 7th of March, 2019. I can't believe we're talking about that already. So pop that in your diary, 7th of March, next year. So I hope you enjoyed this year's National Equine Forum. I'll speak to you soon.
2: You've been listening to Horse Hour. Join the community on Twitter, Mondays, 8pm UK time, 3pm Eastern by using the hashtag HorseHour. Follow Amy at AmyStevenson1 and subscribe to us on Acast, iTunes, Stitcher and Player FM.